0: Please take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 16 and verses 9 through 20. Let me begin with verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first now yeah when now when he rose early on the first day of the week he appeared first to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept but when they heard that he was alive and he had been seen by her they would not believe it after these things he appeared in another form to two of them and they uh, were walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. afterward, he appeared to the leaven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. and he said to them, "Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. whoever believes." And is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will will recover. And then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of god and they went out and preached everywhere while the lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs the grass withers the flower fades but the word of our god will stand forever amen 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 Amen. you may be seated I, I'm so thankful last week uh, that Brad could come and, and preach the Word of God. I was feeling very much under the weather. I was hoping to preach, and I kept waiting further in the week, thinking I'll be better and I'll be better. And it, it was so good to be able to call an experienced pastor that I could just at the last minute say, Brad, can you come? And he uh, responded to that call and was able to be here. So I'm so, so thankful for that. But it's really good to be back with you today, to be on this side of death once again. And uh, instead of uh, feeling so terrible and uh, to be able to bring God's word to you. But before I do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Oh God, we thank you so much uh, that you are so uh, wonderful to, to give your word to us each and every week. Lord, we live in a world that is uh, hostile to you. In a world, God, that uh, lives according to the the system of the world and and of the devil and the the way that that he thinks. And so it's so good, Lord, just to come into the house of the Lord as Asaph did. And to be reminded of of who you are, God. And so we pray this morning that, that you would speak to us as your people. that that you would encourage us. Lord, you know where every person is today. You know the things that they are wrestling with. You know the struggles, the temptations, the worries, the anxieties, uh, all the things, God, that that we are going through. And and I just pray that you would bring your word to bear upon that. Encourage us as your people, but embolden us as well, Lord, not just to get by, not just to survive, but to thrive uh, as your children. Uh, that, Lord, we may act not according to our own abilities, but, Lord, that we may uh, be your servants to do your will. We pray in your name. Amen. One of the things that my family likes to do is to watch old movies. And one of the things that uh, old movies do that the newer movies don't so much do Is when you get to the end of the movie, what is it? What do you see? The end. You know it's over. Nowadays you watch a movie and you're like, Was that it? Is this in? You know, and then you see the credits come and you go, Oh, I guess so. You know, but in olden days, I guess when the dinosaurs roamed the earth and I was young, then you know, you would see the end. Well, today we come to the end of the Gospel of Mark. Or do we? If, if you notice, if you look at your Bibles you you may have some different kinds of of notations. Uh, Like, for example, in the ESV, you have double brackets around uh, verses 9 through 20. Uh, Maybe in some translations, uh, this passage is in italics. Uh, For others, it's completely removed from the text. And maybe you see verses 9 through 20 as a footnote or a side note. Uh, for, for others, you may it may have some kind of heading that says some of the earliest manuscripts don't include verses 9 through 20. And, and that's because the majority of modern scholars regard Mark 16, 9 through 20 as the work of some other person other than Mark himself. And, and if you look at Mark chapter 15, verse 8, and that's why I wanted to read it, you, you see that Mark... If, if eight is the end of the Gospel of Mark, it ends at sort of an odd place. Now some would argue, not really. You know, Mark was wanting to leave us with a sense of the glory of the resurrected Christ. You know, but others would say, but it just seems like sort of a strange ending. And so uh, many believe that uh, a scholar, uh, a scribe uh, possibly, wrote this ending to the Gospel of Mark to sort of fill out what happened after Christ's resurrection, now I, I made a comment about modern scholars, and I want to clarify something because I think sometimes as uh, Bible-believing evangelical Christians, when I say modern scholars, you immediately interpret that to mean liberal scholars. Okay, that this is a debate between liberal scholars and conservative scholars, but actually, the context of the debate around the end of Mark is even amongst conservative. Christians, amongst Reformed scholars who debate this issue. As a matter of fact, if you want to do just an interesting thing, get on the web and go uh, look at uh, sermon series by, preached by PCA pastors or OPC pastors. And you may be amazed at how many of those sermon series end at Mark chapter 8 that, that uh, pastors don't even preach on on uh, verse 9 and following. Now I, I say all that to say please keep in mind that this is not an issue over which we need to break fellowship. If, if you have a certain understanding of the ending of Mark and you know another uh, godly Christian that has another view, this isn't something where you like part ways you know in, in anger. and, and personally, uh, I think there is evidence enough to see the ending we have in Mark's gospel. A scripture, personally. That's just where I come from. But I have many brothers in Christ who who see very differently. Brothers that I respect their opinions so much that I oftentimes respect their opinions more than my own opinions. You know, they they just are very godly men. But, But we see this very differently, and we would not part ways over this. And I think one of the reasons why that can be the case is because if you look at the end of Mark, there's really nothing or very little that is in the ending of Mark that's not taught in other places in Scripture. There may be some things that are not taught, but you sort of see illustrations. Like, for example, it talks about signs that are given, that they will handle snakes. And by the way, that word there for snake isn't necessarily poisonous snake, it just means snakes. Or it says that you may drink poison. And the Bible doesn't really teach that in other places, but we do see in the book of Acts, where Paul, when he was shipwrecked on the island of Pap- or, or Malta, uh, he was gathering wood with others and a viper attached to his hand. And this was a poisonous snake. You knew that because the Bible tells us that the locals were looking at him, just waiting for him to die. And he just shook it off in the fire and he went on. And, and he never did. And so while there's not that teaching, there is sort of illustrations there uh, about those kind of things that we see and other places of Scripture. So, you know, today I want us to look at uh, chapter uh, 16, verses 9 through 20. And and as we do so, I want us to recognize that there's sort of a theme that that flows through this. One of the things that I hope you always do whenever you're reading Scripture, whether that's for your personal worship time, family devotions, whenever you're reading God's Word, that you're always looking for words that might repeat themselves. Because oftentimes that gives you a clue as to what the theme is of that text. And and in our text today, the theme appears to be the idea of belief, of believing. Um, If you look at just these 12 verses, seven times we see either the word belief or some variation, it might be unbelief or something like that, that shows up in this text. Uh, One time in verse 11, we see it one time in verse 13, Twice in verse 14, twice in verse 16, and then once in verse 17. So in 12 verses, seven times we see one word repeated. That should give us a, a hint as to, to what the passage is about. Now, before we jump into that and we talk about that, let me just sort of give you some background. If, if you go back to the beginning of Mark's gospel, to chapter 1, uh, I know we've been in this. Actually, I looked it up uh, last night. To see how long we've been, this is the 59th sermon on Mark. So it's been a while since we've been uh, in Mark. And if you go back though to Mark chapter one verse 14, uh, you see the idea of, of belief. And uh, if you remember, Mark opens with John the Baptist, and then we read in Mark 1:14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so there's that call to repent and believe. And those two ideas always go together. And uh, so Jesus is not only making this proclamation, but then later on in Mark's gospel in chapter 8, he sort of shares a little bit more about the kingdom of God and, and specifically about the king himself. Okay, here is Christ. He is the Messiah, which means he is the king who is going to rule over Israel. And and Jesus wants to share with his disciples what that's going to look like because it's a little bit different than what they're used to. I don't know about you and I, we don't necessarily think in terms of kings, we think in terms of presidents or or senators or congressmen, you know, that kind of structure. But still, if we thought of a king We would think of somebody who had power, someone who had authority, someone who ruled over a people. Hopefully it would be a benevolent king, but not necessarily. But they would have that sense of authority and power. And the reality is, that's how the disciples would have thought of a king too as well. But Jesus wanted to say to them, guys, wait. Actually, the Messiah is a little bit different. You know, it's not, his authority and his power is there But there's a sense of service. There's a sense of suffering. There's a sense of even death that will come. If you look at Mark chapter 8, verse 31, uh, it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. So for Jesus to be the King or the Messiah meant that he would have to face the cross something that was an abomination to to the disciples but but he doesn't stop there he he ends verse 31 this way and he says and after 3 days rise again in other words he's going to come back to life now jesus told his disciples exactly what was going to happen so that they would know what to believe concerning jesus and then mark records in verse 32 and he says and he said this very plainly in other words, he said it very clearly. He said it in a way that they could understand. And I would suggest to you that, that he did say it very clearly. Because if you look at the end of verse 32, Peter's reaction to this is pretty extreme. Peter took a aside and began to rebuke him. In other words, this can't be the way it is. This is not what happens to a king. And uh, to that, Jesus spoke the notorious words, Get behind me, Satan, in verse 33. And then Jesus says to them, Believe in me, follow me. Uh, do what, what I say. Now that's the background to our passage today. Because Jesus has said all these things. The disciples have seen all that Jesus has done. They have heard all that he has taught. They had the death and the resurrection that was set before them. Jesus didn't even do this do this only once in chapter 8, but he also did it in chapter 9. He did it in chapter 10. He, he repeated it over and over and over and over. Almost as if to say, look, If you guys didn't get this, let me say it again so that you'll understand. So they did that. And now, where are the disciples in chapter 16? They're wrestling with their faith. They're struggling. They're struggling with their faith. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to that? Maybe you've grown up in the church and you've gone to Sunday school all your life, they don't do this anymore, but when I was a little boy, they actually gave you attendance pins for Sunday school. And, it, you know, it had like this pin at the top and then you could have all these bars that were like coming down. It's like really impressive. You know, you could like wear this in Sunday school and say, look, I've not missed Sunday school in years, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, they don't do that. Probably a good thing they don't do that, you know. Our pride couldn't take it. But anyway, you know, you, maybe you were that kid And you knew all the answers in Sunday school. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home and your parents faithfully taught you God's word. And you knew those things. And you've heard about Christ from the time. You just don't ever remember a time when you didn't know Jesus. And yet you may be struggling in your faith. You may be wrestling with unbelief. Well, that brings us to our our first point in verses 9 through 14. And that is Jesus' appearances his appearances. And there were actually three appearances that, that Jesus had. First with Mary Magdalene on verses 9 through 11. Then the two disciples on the road in verses 12 and 13. Then finally to the 11 themselves in verse 14. Look, look first of all uh, at the one with Mary. You know, After Mary saw Jesus, she went and she told the disciples, it says in verse 10, who were weeping and mourning. Now I think we have to be very uh, empathetic towards the disciples. You know, I think sometimes we can judge the the biblical characters too harshly. You know, think, well, I can't can't believe they acted that way. And yet, if we look at our own lives, oftentimes we struggle with the same kind of things. But they they had had their world rocked. The circumstances that they had just encountered over the last number of days had had really uh, devastated them. And, and it's interesting, though, if you look at the circumstances that they had gone through, it really had bored out what the word of God had said. I mean, Jesus had told them exactly what was going to happen. And, and the word of God, you know, uh, came true. The circumstances showed that out. So, so the challenge wasn't so much that the circumstances that they encounter challenged God's word as much as it challenged their desires and their expectations. They had certain things that, that, they, that, that they knew just had to be true. And, and I just think, how often as Christians do we do the same thing? That as we go through the trials in our life, as we go through the temptations, as we go through all sometimes very difficult things, it's not that God's word hasn't addressed this. It hasn't even been that God's word hasn't told us, you will suffer for the sake of Christ. You will go through these trials. You will go through these difficulties, you know, But it's that it didn't meet our expectations. It didn't fulfill the desires that we had. And that's really the things that we're struggling with, even though we may think that we're struggling with God. Well, anyway, the the scene that's portrayed here in these verses in 9 through 11 is very powerfully laid out in John chapter 20. And so if you want more details, you can read that. But notice that the disciples would not believe Mary. That's what it says. They would not believe Mary. Now, interestingly, in the Greek, the phrase is even more emphatic than it is in the English. Um, in the Greek, it's, it's not really the idea that they doubted her. It was really more resolute unbelief. Resolute unbelief. They, they were determined in their unbelief. They, they had set themselves in their unbelief it wasn't just merely that they doubted mary's words but they had settled into a state of unbelief they would not believe well then out of that group of disciples and two of them were on a road out into the country and actually luke tells us in chapter 24 of this gospel that they were going on the road to emmaus and jesus appears to them and it took them a while to figure out who jesus was But eventually they did towards evening. And they immediately returned to tell the others. And they tell them that they've seen the Lord. And this time, it says in verse 16, they did not believe. It's not that they would not believe. They did not believe. Here again, the language is not the idea that they were wrestling with doubt. But they had descended into the depths of their unbelief. To the point that it had become their estate, their their mindset. And the condition of their heart is really more of a hardness of heart. You see that hardening of their heart. And so in verse 14, we see the third appearance, and that is Jesus' appearance to the 11. Now, here again, if you want more details about that, you can look at John 20, verses 19 and following. But here in Mark, we see that Jesus appeared, and it says he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. You see, even though these disciples had seen it all, and they had heard it all, they had been with Jesus, and they saw everything he taught, they descended into unbelief and hardness of heart, so much so that they would not even believe the witness of those that they had known and respected for so long. But in this moment, what I want you to see is, even though the apostles and the disciples were faithless, Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Look at verse 15. And that that brings me to our second point, uh, Jesus' commission. Uh, Jesus makes these doubting disciples his ambassadors, his witnesses to the world. Jesus bestows on them incredible privilege of the great commission. Now, I don't know about you, I would not have done that. You know, if these guys are doubting, these would not be my top picks To go and spread the gospel around the world. But that's what Jesus did. And and in Matthew 28. We have this great wording of the great commission. And many of us have memorized that. And we know we're very familiar with that. But here in Mark. His description is much more concise. And yet it's beautifully stated. Look at verse 15. And he said to them. Go into all the world. And proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Now the word go. Is is not in the imperative. It's not a command. It's a participle and so it's best translated as you are going okay Um, as you are going proclaim in other words make known this glorious message and the message of course is the gospel or uh, literally the great good news now I don't know if you've ever been told something incredible some incredible news and you were just bursting to tell someone okay But yet you have been sworn to secrecy. Maybe kids, maybe it's your parents have told you what they're getting your brother or sister for Christmas. And you're like so excited. You're like, oh, they're just going to love this. And you just want to tell them, but uh, you promised you wouldn't tell. And so you're rustling to keep it in and it's bursting in your heart. And you just want to tell someone, right? Have you ever felt like that? And it's not just you kids. I can guarantee you, your parents have done the same. Or other adults in the congregation, right? They've... They've wanted to tell something. Well, that is the sense of the word gospel. We we just have to tell it. It is the greatest good news. And, And that's why the proclamation of the gospel is sometimes described as standing on the rooftops and telling everyone, shouting it out to all who will hear. And Jesus says, I will give you this task. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Now, have you ever noticed the comprehensiveness of the application here? Uh, Jesus is saying that this gospel applies to everything, everywhere. Uh, you hear people say sometimes that we're to make the gospel more relevant, right? Brothers and sisters, we don't have to make the gospel relevant. It is relevant. It, it is relevant. It's relevant to the whole creation, to all the nations. Jesus tells his disciples to go forth because. He has a message that will change the whole world. I don't care where people are from, what their nationality is, what the people groups are. We just have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God works through that to save people. Well, Jesus goes on. I'm getting ahead of myself. Jesus goes on to explain in verse 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, there are a couple of... uh, Uh, passages in here where people have taken them sort of out of context or in in a misunderstanding way and have developed uh, uh, doctrines or practices that are contrary to what scripture says. One is snake handling you know as far as you will handle snakes and so you see some churches especially in the Appalachian Mountains or other places where they do snake handling and that's not necessarily what the passage is talking about but another one is those who uh, would hold to baptismal regeneration, that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. And they they sort of get that from this text. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But in the Greek, the phrase is baptized is really a subordinate clause. In other words, it's sort of illustrating it's not part of the mandate itself. You see, baptism, it's a mark of, of genuine belief. It's not a Prerequisite, but it's something that marks out the believer who follows after Jesus. Now, if baptism is necessary for salvation, then, then why does uh, the end of verse 16 state, but whoever does not believe will be condemned? Why does it not say whoever does not believe or has not been baptized will be condemned? But it doesn't say that. And uh, so... Uh, we need to be careful there to, to get the gist of what Jesus is saying that if we believe in him, uh, whoever does will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The message is very clear and then Jesus confirms that that message in verses seventeen and eighteen. likewise in verses seventeen and eighteen, we have sort of a, a subordinate manifestation. In other words, these charismatic signs are are not mandates. They are confirmations of apostolic calling. They are showing uh, the apostolic calling that is here. In other words, what I'm trying to say is the proper purpose of the signs really is articulated in verse 20. That God confirms his word by the signs that accompany it. That these signs were to be to those who preach the gospel to confirm their message. And in other words, there would be certain events that would accompany the apostolic preaching of the good news of Jesus to authenticate their message. Because if you think about it, if anybody showed up and said, God sent me, you know, who are you to say that that God didn't send me? But you also could question, did God really send this person or are they a false prophet? Well, so God would give them signs that would show that they were from him. And we see that in various texts. Look, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. Verse 22, Acts 2, 22. Um, even Jesus did miracles to show that he was from God. Acts 2, 22 says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. So he did that to show that sign. We also see it in Acts chapter 8. Um over a couple of chapters. Acts 8, uh, verse 4 through 7. We read now, Those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had... Uh, who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Let me look at just one other one in the book of Hebrews, chapter two, verses three and four. We read, "How how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard." While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And so we see that the the witness of the early church was accompanied by signs that corroborated the, the missionary gospel that was given. And while Jesus is saying to his disciples, what Jesus is saying to his disciples is that he would bestow upon them the power that they needed. To do the work that he had called them to do. And so, you know, where some people look at this passage and and get a little confused. Because it says, whoever believes will receive these gifts. Verse 20 sort of clarifies who he's talking about when he's talking about those who believe. That it's those that are going and preaching the gospel. And that's why Matthew Henry says... These signs shall follow them that believe, not that all who believe shall be able to produce these signs, but some, even as many as were employed in propagating the faith and bringing others to it, for signs are intended for them that believe not. In other words, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.22, that that, uh, the gifts, like tongues, for example, are for unbelievers, not for believers. And so you have Jesus... Appearing before uh, those that were his followers. You, you have Jesus who gives his commission to his disciples. You have him um, commending his message. And now you see Jesus ascension in verses 19 and 20. In verse 19, uh, Jesus ascends to heaven as we see. Uh, and we read that in Acts chapter 1. But now with Jesus sitting on the throne of heaven, we read... And they, the disciples, went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. You know, as they went out and they preached the message, that word message there is the word logos, which is the word for word. So as they preached the message, as they preached the word of God, we see here that Paul talks about that the Lord worked with them. And and it's good to be reminded of the Lord's work through His Word, God uses the preaching of the Word, which is foolishness and a stumbling block to most people. Unfortunately, it even has become a stumbling block, in some sense, to some Christian churches. Some some churches who have said, you know, the preaching of the Word is is really uh, inadequate, and so we need to have video or we need to have some other venue or media uh, to attract people's attention. So that we can give them God's word through that. As if it's not sufficient. But God uses the preaching of his word. And he uses it to change the stubborn, unbelieving heart. The hard heartedness. To give people new hearts. And hearts that will believe Christ by faith. Um, Let me show you something really interesting. If you look back at verse 11. Where it says that the disciples would not believe. Okay, that shows the condition of their heart. That actually is the same Greek word in verse 16, at the end of verse 16, where it says, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. In other words, Jesus took the heart of unbelief that was in the disciples. The same heart attitude uh, that would be condemned by Him if people continued in that state of unbelief. And instead, Jesus changed his disciples' hearts and he rebuked them and he called them to repent and believe. And so one moment you have a doubting Thomas that uh, doesn't believe until he puts his fingers in Jesus' body parts to and his hands to show the, the nail prints. And the next moment you have a missionary to India. Because God changes the hard-heartedness. And God still does that today. He takes those who are hard-hearted towards God. And Jesus gives them rights to become children of God. And he takes and he turns them into powerful witnesses for himself. Do you believe that? Do you believe the great good news? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is at work through His Word today. That even what I'm doing right today, this morning, Christ is working in and through that in your lives and those that are hearing this message, maybe via the live stream. I have to be honest with you, this, this week as I was preparing this sermon, you know, you know you're, you're, you're not feeling well, you're sick, you're sort of recuperating. I'm feeling well now, but you know, all week long I was sort of getting stronger and I was just thinking, I hope I can get a sermon done. And you know, as I was reading this passage, I thought, I'm not just preparing a sermon. I'm not just preparing a sermon. Brothers and sisters, I am proclaiming the word of God. And Jesus Christ is at work through the preaching of his word to accomplish his purpose. Now, we may not have the signs that 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 are here today uh, because we don't need that, because we have the word of God. You want to know if I'm a preacher of the Word of God? You don't need signs to show that. You could just look in here to see if the things that I'm saying, if it comes from the Word of God. And that's why as you look at the New Testament, even as you you get further into the New Testament, you see that it talks much less about signs, and the Word is more the focus. As you look at the epistles, it's the preaching of the Word of God that that is the, the focus that's there. But that doesn't mean that God's word is any less effective in changing the hearts of men and women and children. And so this morning, do you speak the word of God to yourself as you go through the trials of your life? Do do you speak the word? Do you read the word? Do you meditate? Do you see what it says? Do you see and do you distinguish the difference between what God has said and what he's promised? And what he's told us in his word and the difference between that and our own expectations of life and our own desires of life and do you identify that god has still been faithful even though you've gone through these trials what he has promised what he has told you has come about and therefore what he has promised that he will do for you as you go through these trials is true as well do you speak the word of god to yourselves as you go through the temptations in your life, those things that you're wrestling with, those sins, maybe those, those battles with worldliness that you're wrestling with, or gossip, or worry, or anxiety. Do you speak the word of God knowing that God, that Christ works through his word in the life of his people? Do you speak the word of God to others who need Christ? I mean, we're in the Christmas season. We get together with family and friends and others, and there may be those that, that you have in your life that you've been praying for that will become Christians. But maybe secretly in the back of your mind you're thinking, yeah, I don't think this is ever going to happen. Like, I can't envision so-and-so being a Christian. And so you're praying with one breath and yet you're doubting with another. Do you believe that Christ could change that person's heart? Do you believe that he can make them that new Creation That that person that you see now that's so hard-hearted or so apathetic towards Jesus Christ could actually be one who could be on fire for the Lord. Who would be sharing with their co-workers and their family members and their neighbors and others about the love of Jesus Christ. God is able to do this. And I think about those New Testament Christians in Rome who were <coughs> receiving Mark's gospel and they needed to know that Christ was real. They needed to know that Christ is alive and he is sitting on the throne of heaven. And, and even though Christ had not appeared to these Christians in Rome that Mark was writing to, they believed, they had heard the gospel preached and they had seen the works that confirmed that message and they, and they, uh, they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like what Peter says in 1 Peter 1.18. Peter says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. You see, even though they're going through the difficulties in life and the trials and the, the struggles with sin, they believe and they put their faith in Jesus. Well, like the believers in Rome, like, like the disciples... Brothers and sisters, we have been set free from unbelief and hard-heartedness. Now, we might still struggle sometimes uh, in our belief of God's promises, but he has given us a new heart to believe. And he may at times have to convict us of where we're sliding back into that unbelief. But he he has changed our hearts. And so you may be here this morning and you may be struggling with trials. You may be struggling with temptations and sin and discouragement and worldliness and all these things. But I want to tell you, Jesus is alive! He has conquered sin and death. And He sits on His throne to rule over all things for the sake of the church. And we know the gospel is true and it changes everything. Do you believe that, brothers and sisters? Rest in Him. Rest in Him, knowing that He is truly risen. Let's bow our heads and and pray this morning. Father, we, we thank you so much for the word that you've given to us today. Lord, you know of our, our struggles and how we can sometimes wrestle with unbelief and, and worry, anxiety, uh, that it, it can, uh, that unbelief can manifest itself in, in so many ways in, in our lives. And yet, Lord, I pray that, that you would uh, encourage us through the word that is before us this morning to know that Jesus has risen. And and just like the believers in, in Rome who could look back and they could see that, that Mark is speaking here about the preaching that has happened and the things that have happened, they, they are signs to these believers that Christ truly has risen and He has ascended into glory. And for uh, those of us today, Lord, who are here, we have not seen Christ, uh, but we have heard the gospel message and we have... Re- we have received that by faith help us Lord uh, to be strengthened in, in our belief and, and encourage us as, as we trust in you uh, to, to see who you are and what you are doing in our lives Lord I pray for those that, that may not know you today that they may come to faith in you and to trust you Lord that you would um, give them new hearts in Christ make them new creatures Lord, make them your witnesses to proclaim the gospel around the world. We thank you and pray these things in your name. Amen.